Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. Do you remember now Quinn scoring a header from behind the goal? It was against Newcastle. (laughs) (laughs) He was sort of like, he literally put spin on it. It was like, it was that three all where Keith Curl had a fight with. A spree. Yeah. 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 This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Coming up, we've got all the news and views from Manchester City's week. Get involved with the debate by tweeting at Blue Moon Podcast and check out exclusive interviews on bluemoonpodcast.com. It's your club and this is your show. What's the best way to solve a defensive crisis after a shock defeat at Norwich? A solid 3-0 away win in the Champions League, of course. It's been an eventful week and one that must make Pep Guardiola rue his decision to move Eliakim Mangala out of the club at last summer. That said, even with one fit senior centre-back in the squad, the manager has options. Options that might get a run out as City start their defence of the League Cup next week. Before that, though, we've got the match with Watford to preview and we'll be looking at the talking points from the last seven days, including hearing how some City fans deal with those unexpected defeats. Howard Hawkins on his soapbox later in the show. Plus, we've got your questions in Ask the Panel, so get them sent in for next week at Blue Moon Podcast on Twitter or through the website, bluemoonpodcast.com. I'm your host, David Mooney. With me in the studio this week, we've got City fan Gaz. Hey. And we've got Goal.com City correspondent Jonathan Smith. How you doing? Not too bad, thanks. You both well. First show of the season for you both. Not Is bad. That, yeah? No, <laughs> not bad. You, John's one question behind, I think, all the time. <laughs> That's a Ronnie sketch. Yeah, I, I think it'll, be, it'll make an interesting show. I think, for, for, if nothing else, um, let's. I mean, let's start with uh, with the game at Norwich. Um, there's only one place to start, really, John. Uh, the defence. What did you make of of well the mistakes that were made? Um, well, I thought there was only one massive mistake. If that if that's any positive to take from it, Ottomendi's obviously that was absolutely <laughs> shocker. But no, they just they just look very disorganised. Uh, and it's 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 not great to see John Stones like that. You know, he's a fantastic player. He's got everything to be a brilliant centre-back. And when he's on it, he is a brilliant centre-back. Um, but it's just confidence just seems so it's quite low. He had a poor summer with England. Uh, he had a poor end of the season with City. He wasn't getting in the team. And it just seems to be rolling on. And he, he always needs a run of half a dozen games where he plays well and nothing goes wrong. And then he's right at his top of his game and... At the moment, he can't see where that run of games is going to come from. Uh, well, obviously, he's injured now. Um, Ottomendi doesn't look comfortable on the left side of defence, so yeah, this didn't work, didn't work well at all. What? Uh, what? I mean, it, it felt not right from the start, didn't it, Gaz? Yeah. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't. I don't think Stone. I thought Stones was like the best of the back four. Definitely, I felt a bit sorry for him because. They kept seeming to want to sort of bring the criticism round to him, but I don't really think anything was particularly his fault. Um, and yeah, like like John, I, I only thought there was like one really massive rick, and that was obviously Ottomendi just sort of having a, a huge brain fart. And um, but even then, it's not like I mean Ottomendi's got areas wrong with his game. But one thing you'd usually trust him to do is just is just to be able to play the ball out because that's you know that's what he's good at and. He just got caught on it. Um, the other two, I just, I just sort of think like, 
there's been so much analysis, but like sometimes, sometimes you just concede good goals, and we just conceded two good goals that day. That, that near post, though, it's it's. But a... I don't. I I genuinely, I've got to think about that goal. Well, I always think that's the perfect corner. Like, you know how people complain about corners not going, not getting past the first mat. That's because the best place to put a corner is just above, like a fraction above the first man, so that somebody can come in and attack the ball and try and glance on it. And if that gets right, you, there's nothing you can really do to stop it because you, you should be like... Your defenders tend to be goal side of the person who's attacking the ball. So sometimes... I mean, you see all this you see this analysis, and but I think it's really easy to sort of like... No a goal's been scored, show a still of the, mat, the, 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 the penalty area before it, Draw a cross on where the goal's about to get scored from and say, oh, someone should have been there. But you can do that every <laughs> single time a goal For every goes. every goal, yeah. Exactly, and I just sort of think, like, of course, like, there's something you can do, like, technically, you you can stop every goal if you know what's about to happen. But I think if, you, if your striker gets the run across the man on the first goal, on the, on, uh, on the, near, uh, post. On the near post... Then and, and gets the header off right, then it's going to be it's 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 going to be a goal. I mean, the only thing you can do to stop it is to have someone, you know, to, just to cut the ball out really, and and they, they just managed to get the ball about a, 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 just over the first man. I, I'm not. If if we were to score a goal like that, and the opposition were complaining about their own defending, you'd think it was a bit absurd. You just think it's a good goal. Give us some credit for it. Okay, then. Well, Norwich's second goal, John. It was a, it was a pretty failed offside trap. Walker was very deep. Well, well, it wasn't that Walker was deep. It was everyone else was very high, uh, and he was behind them. That's not the uh, same thing, technically. <laughs> well, no, because there's so much space to run in afterwards, isn't it? You don't have to play a, a particularly great ball. You just need to knock it past them into a, a, a huge area, um, too far away from Edison, because you know obviously Edison sweeps a, a long way outside his box. Um, and, you know, they, they, were, they were basically that a yard inside their own half. Um, yeah, it was just a, it was a failed offside line walker behind everyone else. But I just think there's that lack of communication, lack of leadership in the back four when Laporte isn't there and obviously company's gone. Um, Otamendi doesn't look like I said before doesn't look like comfortable on the left, so he's a bit worried about his own game. You know, he got caught when he got caught for that third goal. You, you're sort of thinking, you know, is he in an unnatural position? He's not opened himself up to see. He's completely unaware of what's going on. Well, I was going to say, him. Laporte as a left footer would be more open in that position because yeah. he wants to play the ball forward. Otamendi's kind of got to turn blindside, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. That's, I just think there's a, just that lack of communication that around that's sort of led to, well, there was certainly the, the last two goals. I mean, Otamendi was complaining that he didn't get a shout. He should be expecting that, really. Yeah, he shouldn't have, he shouldn't have heard out. It was... Yeah, I mean that was a mistake. Walker made the mistake to not push out as well. I think I'm kind of more in that it's Walker's fault camp because once you go, you've got to kind of go and sort of play offside together. But even so, like I mean, it's like it's a split second decision. Like the the, the decision he should have made to push out happened so quickly. It's like yeah, there's a deficiency there, but it's hypercritical to sort of you know. Especially if I mean, especially because if, it was also a good pass and a good yeah. go and a good move, and and also some somebody sort of like, I think that might happen to us a bit more this season with Fernandinho not playing in front of the defence because um, we might talk about it later. I think Rodri looks like a, like a class act. He's nowhere near as good at screening 
as Fernandinho is, and you've already sort of seen that, like because he got turned, didn't he, for the for the ball coming in? And I wonder if you've got someone who's a bit more, a, you know, who's a, a bit more of a sort of bit cuter, bit bit more, bit more savvy to that. Yeah, he's more of an anchor man, isn't he, than than somebody who sort of screens the defense, like that's sort of that that type of player. Um, and you, you might sort of see teams get into our back four a lot quicker than they used to when, when Fernandinho was doing that sort of ratting in front of the defence. Well, John, you mentioned it. The news got worse after that Norwich game with the with the news that John Stones was confirmed out for, I think it's up to five weeks. Um, a lot of people have been critical of City's decision not to go into the market for a defender in the summer. But, I mean, Fernandinho is a perfectly good option. They proved that in the Ukraine. Yeah, Fernandinho was always going to be the fourth choice uh, when, they, when they missed out on they were looking at in the summer and um, yeah I mean obviously it's not great they've had to go to him so early and they've got so little choice in that Laporte is out until at least January and that's a huge loss really big loss because he's think he's I think he's as good a centre-half as you, anywhere in the world with perhaps the exception of Van Dijk who has been brilliant for Liverpool um, I, yeah I just I think yeah I think Fernandinho will work well there they lose a bit of height Obviously, um, and I, I don't necessarily agree with guys on the on the corners. I think they they can. I mean, the Spurs one I thought was bad because it's it's Lucas Moura who's he's not the he's not the tallest, and he's kind of a free. He didn't really move towards it and stuff like that. I think that's something the City should really be dealing. Yeah, with that, that less so. But like the other one, the Nor- the Norwich one, the guy Norwich attacked was, it, didn't he? And just got there first. I, just think, I think I think I thought Norwich were brilliant. I thought they they came up with a plan. And they, and they executed it perfectly. And one of those plans was, first corner we get, that's where we're going to aim for because I think that's a bit of a, an issue for City. And he put it perfectly where they wanted it. And it was a goal. Fantastic. When it comes to the criticism of, uh, of City's decision not to buy a defender in the in the summer, has, it, has the last week kind of been blown out of all proportion because City lost a game, effectively? Yeah, absolutely, yeah. Um, because... It was. It, it's only one defender. I, mean, I assume our our first choice partnership now is Stones and Laporte. So it's just Laporte who was missing. Um, and like we we like the goal you discussed. You said about Spurs, which was preventable. Laporte was in the side then, you know. And we do we do we do occasionally um, concede goals. Yeah, I mean we don't concede many, um, but we just happen to concede three in one day, which is why we lost. And that's a really reductive way of putting it. Um, so uh, and and I do sort of going back to before what I said about stones, like I do get the impression that there was a bit of a narrative building around it before the game even began because trying the commentary kept trying to pull everything back round to John Stones who fundamentally hadn't done anything wrong for any of the goals, um, so yeah I think I think I think it was a case of people sort of satisfying the narrative more than anything else. Are you comfortable with Fernandinho there? Uh I mean, I've not. He's only, he's only had a game. <laughs> I don't and a half really watch there, pre-season so like, football, well, and so I can't really say how good he is at centre. I mean, there's no real reason why he can't play there, is he? I mean, you mentioned the height, but I mean, that City's City's answer to that is always just not give away set pieces. Certainly not in our own half. Um, to to sort of work against that. I mean, but like, he's a good header though for Nandinho. So I mean, he's not. He's only about five foot nine, probably five foot eight. But he, you know, he, he, he gets he, up well. Yeah, he, he does get up well, and he does add the ball well. So. I mean, it's four to five weeks. And what, what worries me more, probably, is the fact that we've got to wait four to five weeks to get him, you know, so we get back. It's like, 
this is happening to Stones all the time now. And I, I really like John Stones, but like if if he's getting to the point where you can't rely on him without him breaking down and going missing for another couple of months, that's that, that's where I, I, I'm not too worried about this happening for four, four to five weeks. But if we've got, you know, if we've only got one established centre half for most of the season, then then that probably would cause some issues. Yeah, bit thin on the ground. Um, John, you mentioned Rodri coming into the team and and doing well and 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 kind of figuring in front of the the back four. Um, have you been surprised how little Fernandinho has appeared either in defence or midfield this season? Yeah, he was late back from the Copa America. I mean, he, he, obviously they he did well there, and I thought Rodri settled pretty well actually. I think he's done a he's done a pretty good job. Um, obviously Norwich was was his least effective performance, but I think. I think Norwich deserve a huge amount of credit because they were they were very brave on the ball. They shifted it quickly and they were they were picking up they were picking up balls in uncomfortable situations and they weren't afraid to have it, knocking it around, breaking the press. Um, and City were pressing high up the pitch with uh, Bernardo Aguero and they were getting round them and it was leaving Rodri a little bit isolated. Um, he was being pulled out of position and but I think generally he's, he had a, he's, he's had a good start of the season and I thought he was excellent against Shakhtar. Well, you say about Norwich playing well. I mean, in terms of a, of a performance against City, it was that we were talking on last week's show with uh, with Chris, the Norwich fan. When City lose, it's kind of like there's a perfect storm of factors, and one of them is that every man on the opposition team plays really well. <laughs> that that was just one of those games. Yeah, they were they were fantastic, and the the atmosphere was absolutely incredible. They were they were behind them. Once you get a, once you get a goal ahead, then you've got something to to play for, and they they, they just worked incredibly hard. They were well organised at the back. As soon as they lost the ball, they were back in shape, and it just made it very, very difficult for for City to create any space. Sil- Silver, David Silver, you saw the, what he did against Bournemouth. He was picking up balls in dangerous areas, and he he just couldn't do that against Norwich. They were closing him. They were pushing out of the either. They knew exactly who was doing what. Mm. The defense were pushing up towards him, squeezing the space, not letting him turn. Sterling was was having a tough time out on the left. He was switching flanks. Bernardo looked better when he came across, obviously set up the goal. But I was going to say, I mean, in terms of when when City have players that have an off day, you have you, you just say, oh well, De Bruyne's not found space, or De Bruyne's not been able to find a pass, or Sterling's not quite on it today. When you've got Sterling, De Bruyne, Bernardo, David Silva, Aguero, all fine, all having trouble finding space, it's you kind of wonder, yeah, is the space actually just being really well marked? I think it was notable that I thought that Norwich game, I thought that. Watching Bernardo, I thought this is the first time I think I've ever seen him have a bad game, and yeah, I think he did have a bad game. Bernardo, Aguero had a really funny performance because he was finding space. He should have scored. He should have. He probably should have put another one away, really, given the sort of chances which he. If he scores that header and makes it one-one. Yeah, when we finished, I mean, there were we had the chances in that game as well. That's the other thing. I mean, like like you say, I mean, four credits to Norwich, and like overwhelmingly, sort of like you know, if you're on WhatsApp with your mates or whatever. Every City fan I know was sort of saying, "Oh, you know, fair play. They've, you know, they, they've deserved that." But we did, we did have the chances, and we finished both halves really well. I thought the other problem was the timing of that third goal because we we got right back into it that um, in, right before half time we started we, the second half well as and, well. Yeah, and you'd be sort of like rubbing your hands. Like, we've seen this before with City now, right? We go through the gears, and then like they score in the only way which you think you can when you're playing badly. You know, when you're playing well, which is by somebody just having a you know individual error, and then then they score, but. 
It's it's a weird one, isn't it? I just think about Aguero's performance because he seems. He's, I thought he did quite well creating chances for himself and being a constant menace, but he should have scored probably another at least another goal. Well, before we get into the nitty gritty of Wednesday's game against Shakhtar, just looking at the the Premier League picture, uh, Liverpool will have a five point advantage. It's the biggest after five games. Does that mean anything, John? Uh, well, no, it doesn't. But the, the 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 thing is that City and Liverpool drop so few points that it it feels. Like it's somehow relevant. Um, yeah, I mean, it's back to time to overturn that, and Liverpool will have a, a dodgy period. Um, but you know, they only lost one game last season. So if they lose one game this season, well, it's know, not going to be about losing, though, and it's going to be about drawing. That's draws are the new losses now. Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's like La Liga used to well, still, still is to an extent, but um, the other thing they've got. They've got Chelsea, Spurs, and United before we go to Anfield, haven't they? So you did. You... Yeah, but we also going to Anfield to guarantee three points. Well, so. <laughs> yeah. I mean, so I mean, it felt that way last year, didn't it? And then they dropped points to was it Everton, and then we managed to get it, get get it back into Everton. Brought it back into City's hands yeah. on its own, but it was the night after City lost at Newcastle. They drew at home to Leicester. That was it. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, once you're in that like sort of buffer zone, you can think, well, as soon as you get back into like one set of results, you think, all right, we're into it, aren't we? Uh, five five points seems a bit, um, it's, it's a bit more of a sort of mental sort of block because uh, you've only you know you, you sort of need two sets of results to go your way. It's I mean. The talk is as well, City have to play Liverpool twice. But again, you can't always guarantee on that with City at Anfield. It just feel, it feels like... Can't always guarantee, you can never guarantee. Well, I'm, I'm, I remember one victory at Anfield <laughs> in my 31 years of life. So, Well, well, no, but you could say it's still in City's hands, can't you? If they win every game to the end of the season, they win Technically, the title. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's going to be different this year. I thought this at the start of the year. Like, I don't think it's going to be... So I think we'll both lose very few games, but... Like, You're expecting more of a 90, 91, 92 point season. Like, if you look at the summer, all those sort of teams sort of below the sort of top six strengthened, didn't they? So, like, your Everton's, Wolves, um, who else is around there? Uh, Leicester. Well, Wolves and Watford both Well, look good. No. <laughs> Bottom um, two in the league at the minute. Yeah, yeah, fair play. Fair enough. But my point is, is that I think, I think it's just like a stronger league this year, which will mean that teams will just will, will drop points more. <laughs> When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia. Movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Let's look at the performance in uh, Ukraine because uh, Gundogan was was one of those who was heavily criticised for his performance at Norwich, uh, but he he really turned it around at, at Shakhtar. Yeah, I, I'm a big fan of Gundogan, particularly second half of last season. I thought he was fantastic. Um, yeah, he was great in in Shakhtar. Uh, perhaps perhaps it was a little bit of a surprise to see him picked. Um, obviously, De Bruyne missed the game at Norwich. Um, so he was coming back in, and you thought maybe he would go with playing alongside David or something like that. But yeah, he worked. He worked really well. Uh, his goal was. I mean, it was. A, it's a very, really, well, it's very well taken toe poke, isn't it? If you know what I mean. Yeah, but it was good. It was a good run. Perfect pass from from Mares. 
you know, a great assist from Mahrez is, is, is control and then pass. But you've got to take that, running pretty quickly into the box, taking it in his stride, finish it. Yeah, a great goal. All-round good performance, yeah. Mahrez as well, Gaz, is, is really, he's quietly coming into his own this season. I think he finished last season quite brightly as well, didn't he? Well, certainly, certainly a goal against Brighton. Um, he doesn't look out of place. I, 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 you know, I've always thought people have sort of gone a bit overboard on criticism of him. Uh, yeah, I think he's looking good. And like, yeah, I, I thought Gundogan as well last night was like, like twenty minutes in, you could see, oh, he's he's well in, well up for this, isn't he? And uh, yeah, like like John, I, I I really rate him. I think he's another one who gets harshly harshly judged. Did you honestly think his goal was going to stand though? When you first saw it, <sighs> Do you he, he looked because it was one of those where he looked a mile offside. But because the the ball forward was so so much earlier, he was actually <laughs> like two yards off. I don't know. Maybe I wasn't paying that much attention. Um, a lot of people have said that. He, I mean, he belted it in. And I thought, oh, this is that's offside. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I felt more that way when Sterling scored against West Ham, and everyone thought that's just going to get chalked off because of the one happened that happened earlier. But I didn't jump up anyway, but just because, like, I mean, let's face it, like, these Champions League group games are just, like, so... There's so, there's so little riding on them. I don't think I... You're the, just not the, a fan, are you? you, just, <laughs> you, you know, you hardly... I mean, look, I'm glad we won, but you, you don't, you're not really out your seat, are you, at any point? So, I, 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 you know, I, I think I could have... What was, I was what, mentally prepared for that goal not to go in and not be too disappointed. What, what, what was the stat that the commentary said? It was something like City have, have, have only won kind of, like, four of their... Opening day Champions so, yeah, League games, four, like that. Yeah. four out of seven, and you kind of go, well, they've they've made it out of the groups all but two times, so it's not like, remember, like there's no jeopardy. I remember last year when we lost to it was Leon. Leon. It was Leon. I was got Leon on the all mixed up in the first game, and like there was a lot made of like apathy and oh, this is because like there was like forty thousand there or something. I remember just the, like I, I mean I was there like as much as I say I hate the cup the European Cup. Um, Groups. I'm in. I'm in the cup scheme, and I just remember sort of overwhelmingly just sort of thinking, it just doesn't matter. We've got five games to turn this round. You don't even have to win the group. You just have to come in the top half of the league, and it's seeded, so you play a load of dross anyway. So <laughs> it just doesn't matter. These games don't matter. The games which matter the least, ironically, are the ones against the other good teams in the group because you've just got a load of rubbish to play at home after it. It's just. Just a load of bloated nonsense. I'm sorry. I'm just done a rant here. But that's what we it's want. Just that those games are just so so dull. Well, that so. that win on Wednesday does make it feel like it's completely finished, completely done, done with now. Yeah, you win one other... away game and then that's it. Isn't but the, it? the way it's the way it's turned out this season, playing Shakhtar first away from home, that's by far the hardest game they're going to have, and they've absolutely won it so comfortably. Mm. I just feel like the other five just 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 turn up. Little bit of wastefulness in that game, though. You think of, of chances for Jesus, Sterling, Gundogan had one where he, he he squared it straight to the keeper. Yeah, yeah, there was a few chances. Um, De Bruyne should have scored one in the first half uh, through against the keeper, but well, I don't. When you, when, when you still went 3 0, it just kind of, yeah, yeah. I know what There's you mean. There's one where Gundogan and, was it Jesus, got in each other's way when, they came, when, yeah. he, when he broke it, when he, when he got through, he probably should have scored that as well. But, it, but no, it doesn't matter. <laughs> okay, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll stop asking, all right? Um, I'm going to finish the first part with, uh, with a, a, a word on the cameos um, because uh, Benjamin Mendy made his uh, long awaited return. Um, it's good to see him back out on the pitch. Yeah, he's brilliant. Um, yeah, you just hope he's. You've obviously got to be very, very careful with him. It's been two, two years now where he's been affected by this, and uh, I mean, even when he, even in that brief sort of, I think it was eight minutes, wasn't it? He still managed to get 
right up the pitch and smashing one low cross. I just thought, you know, it'd be typical of someone turning that in. It just seems to, for someone who's so sort of crazy and wild off the pitch, he, he seems, and, and some of the things he does on the pitch as well, he's so consistently good at crossing the ball. It's oh. incredible how he he seems to find great angles and, and the pace. And the, yeah. yeah. It's a, so, yeah, he, he, he'd done one of those in eight minutes and... You go back to the start of last season. Did he have three or four assists in his first couple of games, and that's what he can offer. You just kind of hope that now it's. I mean, it's it's not. It's about not overusing him, I suppose, guys. Just make it. Just making sure that he's he's kind of like a bonus for these next few weeks. That yeah. makes sense. Well, I mean, I, I, I you know I'll, I'll leave that to <laughs> some kind of judgment to people who sort of understand sort of physical conditioning. But I suppose um, I, I really like Mendy. I, I, he's another one I think gets a bit. A bit of unfair stick. Yeah, a bit of unfair stick. And like, I think people overstate his deficiencies as a defender for the start. But I think like those balls he puts in are just absolutely brilliant. Like, and and you get a few of them every single game, every single time he plays. Like, if you're um, uh, if you're a centre forward, that's just like exactly what you want. Yeah, you know, just just the, just needs a touch. It. Just needs a touch. Yeah. Anywhere, yeah, and they're just like yeah, daisy cutters, and like they they just come right through. And um, I, I, I can't think of anyone in the league who puts a better ball in than that. Finally, Cancelo came off the bench. Uh, City fans have been crying out to see him. Um, what, what do you make of him? We've, we've barely seen anything of him. Well, I, I don't think there's there's any panic over that, though. the fact that he hasn't played as much as probably you'd expect yet. Players often take their time getting used to being part of the Guardiola style of play. And it can take some players a, a season before they, get, they really understand what's going on. So... Perhaps with it being being a defender and a fullback, he needs a little bit more time to know exactly, you know, where to go. You know, this inverted fullbacks and stuff like that. You know, I watch it and think I'm. He stood over there, and I don't really know why he stood over there. But of course, you play fullback, don't you? <laughs> but you know, the goal against uh, uh, the the goal against Brighton, where Walker drops into the centre circle and plays it out wide to Mares, and you think, right, I I don't know, I I can't really understand why. A fullback has been told to go and stand there, um, but it you know it worked brilliantly. It works. So perhaps Cancelo is just just getting to grips with exactly where he's supposed to stand, rather than doing what I did as a fullback, which is well mostly hang back on the halfway line. But uh, uh, hang back on the halfway line with hands on your knees, yeah, sort of thing. <laughs> but basically, just running straight lines, isn't it? Up and down, it's a bit more complicated. I want him to do one of those part like party piece kicks we've all been seeing visit you know videos of. You know, have you seen those? I haven't like, seen this. What? He does like these passes, and it's like I've seen a few of them sort of on social media that he's done for Juventus. Have you seen his way? He puts so them. much, imparts so much spin on the ball. He's sort of literally passing around court. It's like um, it's like a snooker shot, you know, when you come in on the top of a ball, and the ball just sort of moves. And there's been a few videos of him doing like these passes for Juventus, and there's a few like City have um, shared of him doing them in training, of him like li- literally just like moving the ball around people. Um, it's like. Is it is this like when players score from behind the, yeah, well, the goal line? Yeah, well, there's exactly one of them which he's done in training, which City have sort of shared on their that, that they sort of put out on their feet. It's like um, it's like you think what you know when you think I oh, wonder what footballers can like do in a hundred years. It's like that. He's just sort of like manipulating the ball after he's after he's kicked it. I mean, I don't know if it's like an intrinsic part of his game or a bit of a part <laughs> of his. <laughs> just aching. To I, yeah, I want, I want to see him do one. Yeah, yeah. I've never been any good at swerving a snooker no. ball anyway, so I can't, I can't, can't really comment on that. Uh, right, so let's move on. And let's be honest, <laughs> City don't lose that often anymore. So when they do, if you're anything like me, then you'll be ready to throw a tantrum every time it happens. Um, are you two bad, bad losers by any chance? 
No, I just just take it in stride, mate. Girls, uh, not these days. No. I see. I, I, I really am. Uh, anyway, Tom Green's been looking at how some of us deal with a bad result. It's not a feeling that Manchester City fans have had to deal with a lot recently, but it's something every football fan can relate to. You know how it goes. You turn up to the stadium full of hope, only to watch things go badly. And what should have been a simple three points turns out to be anything but. At kickoff, you're feeling confident. 90 minutes later, you're both angry and disappointed. I have a vivid memory of being in my seat at Main Road after City had lost and I I was only a child so it was like late 90s at the earliest and I just having that kind of sinking feeling but kind of becoming acclimatised to it and being something that I I, I was used to it happening every time like I went there and I can clearly remember I I don't know if it was the first song that the PA had on after the, the full time whistle but it was always the soundtrack was always Wonderwall by Oasis, it's all I could hear. That's podcast host David Mooney remembering how things were when he first started going to watch City. Back then, defeats were ten a penny. Now, though, they're not. And he explains that means he's become a bad loser. You would think now with the players that City have got and the performances that they put in and, and how often they win... The odd defeat here and there wouldn't bother me, but I actually think it bothers me more than it used to back in in, in the 90s and noughties. I think I used to be able to brush it off quite easily, but now I go into a proper sulk when City have lost. Others on the podcast team disagree, though. Here's City fan Dan Burke, a journalist with one football. I used to let City defeats ruin my weekend, but now they're lucky if I let them ruin my lunch hour. I think I definitely deal with it in a more mature manner than I used to in the bad old days when we lost all the time and were generally hopeless. Um, of course, it depends on the magnitude of the defeat too. Losing a game away at Norwich in September is a lot easier to take than, say, blowing the chance to win the title in a Manchester derby like we did a couple of seasons ago. I actually think that defeat to United was the last time I, uh, I had a proper strop after a defeat, but I still got over that one quite quickly. The circumstances of the defeat matter more now. Losing at Norwich in the fifth game of the season doesn't rule City out of the title race. There's plenty of time to catch up that five-point gap. But it does mean some losses later in the campaign can be more upsetting. This is City blogger Richard Burns. Last season, when we got beat by Newcastle, late January, early February, I thought we'd blown the league then and there, and that hurt, and I was gutted for, like, the whole of the day after. And I I just had a a little bit of a sulk on, (laughs) and I had to, I remember for the podcast, writing a bit of a cathartic blog about how much it hurt. He says that's why he wasn't too bothered by Saturday's defeat. It's so early in the season, it's not a defining game. And listen, when we're up against a Liverpool team of this quality, you can't be dropping many points at all. But they're going to drop five points over the course of the season. We still have to play them twice. Obviously, we're going to drop more points. But yeah, I'll be honest, I just sort of got on with my evening. Uh, In fact, I (laughs) went to B&Q with my fiance to buy some paint so we can decorate the dining room. On Saturday, City lost only their third game in the whole of 2019. Some teams would kill for that kind of record, while other teams would just kill for the odd win here and there. 
It puts one unexpected result at Norwich into context and means reactions have to be tempered. Here's how Richard Burns says he deals with defeat these days. Sometimes you just need to sort it out of the system. A good rant, a few angry texts in the WhatsApp group and City have been rubbish. And one thing that I've got a little bit better at recently is just staying away from Twitter because there's too many knee-jerk reactions and not very helpful points made. Dan Burke has similar methods. When City lose, I often try and do something completely unrelated to football to take my mind off it, but that can be quite difficult in my line of work sometimes, unfortunately. Um, drinking certainly helps too. Um, and sometimes, you know, talking about the game with your friends and family can be quite cathartic, I think. Um, and I think City fans have always been quite good at the, the gallows humour stuff. Um, nowadays, the bar has been raised so high for City that they're not really allowed to lose a game without it feeling like a massive deal. But it's literally impossible to win, uh, win them all. So you know, losing is just part of the sport that you have to accept. And the great teams are the one who always bounce back quickly from setbacks. And unlike Mooney, Burns reckons he's mellowed with age when it comes to coping with a City horror show. I'm older than when City used to lose a lot of games. You know, I was I was young. I used to have to grow up watching, like many of us, watching. United win every trophy around and also you know as you grow up you have <laughs> hopefully other things in your life so it doesn't hurt the same way this weekend we suffered our first league defeat since January now obviously you have the summer break in there so even if you cut that out and call it one league defeat every five months it's not that hard to take, is it? Watford on Saturday presents City with the perfect opportunity to put things right in the Premier League before Liverpool travel to Stamford Bridge on Sunday. If results go their way, the gap at the top could be back down to two points by this time next week. It's not like Watford have a returning manager with a point to prove and just put in an excellent performance to rescue their match against Arsenal or anything. What could possibly go wrong? Hi, Colin Hendry, you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. Please give us your backing. Patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast. Tom Green looking at how some of us are sore losers. Uh, just before we move on, we just watched uh, the Cancelo stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm desperate to see him do it now as well. <laughs> it just looks fantastic. Um, right, yeah, anyway, uh, Watford and Preston to come for City. Um, as we mentioned in the feature, City have the chance to close the gap on uh, on Liverpool. Is is actually is this weekend weirdly so early in the season quite important given Liverpool go to Stamford Bridge? I mean, we can't. We we, we I mean, you'd expect Liverpool to win because Chelsea aren't very good this year. I mean, although it is Liverpool v Chelsea at Stamford Bridge, you, you you look at their team and you think, you know, one's clearly better than the other. Yeah, yeah. Um, but it's it. So I mean, I'd I'd be perfectly happy to sort of you know if we, if we fell further behind that's a disaster it's an opportunity but I wouldn't be putting too much too much faith in in Chelsea getting a getting a result you were already checking Liverpool's results John um, well I was driving down to Norwich uh, with Sam uh, Sam from The Athletic and we were listening to the cricket and uh, I said I was just playing with my phone and uh, while you were driving uh, no, I wasn't. I you were, wasn't you were driving, I just had to get that, yeah. yeah. And uh, I said, it's, uh, I said, we're not pointing it on, but just let you know, Newcastle are winning 1-0. And it was like, well, I'll just carry on listening to the, to the cricket because they're going to win, aren't they? So, no. You're not? No. Okay, no. fair enough. I just, um, assume, I just assume they'll win. I, think, I assume they'll win at Chelsea. It's going to, when they drop points, it'll be similar to how City drop points in games where... Unexpected. Yeah, I think so, because, 
you know, you look at the record against the top six teams last season, I don't think they've really dropped that many points. You know, Liverpool, those draws were against like Leicester, Everton, uh, West Ham. You know, I think they, you know, they against, I think they, did they win? No, they won, did they win United as well, didn't they? So, Yeah, but top sides. I think <laughs> it's, a, a more, I, I think that playing away means there's more chance of an upset than playing a weaker side. Do, do, do you see what I mean? Like, I think the times when you should be, no, sort of almost like contradicting what I said earlier, given that Chelsea, Liverpool are away this weekend. It's those weekends when City are at home and Liverpool are away, that, that I think they're your opportunities. Yeah. But like you say, you, you, you don't know. <laughs> you got... And there's still, you know, 20-odd, 30 games yeah. to go. So it's, it's. I mean, looking at that, how tricky is, is Watford going to be? Because they've had a, a pretty bad start to the season, but new manager, pretty good good performance and result against Arsenal. Yeah, I mean, a lot of people were sort of saying that they, Grazia was unlucky to get sacked and stuff like that, but you, uh, you go back to the cup final, I... As good as City were, I thought Watford were absolutely terrible. I thought he got it completely wrong uh, in his tactics. And they finished the second half of last season badly, started this season badly. So I, perhaps a new manager... I mean, Watford, that's that's the way they work, isn't it? They 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 get a new manager every season who brings in fresh ideas and, and it's, I don't know, it gives them a bit of fresh impetus and keeps them, keeps them going. And Gracia took them to the first cup final, so they thought, oh, we better keep him. He'll be back next year, won't he? Yeah, that's how it works. Here. They flip flop through the through the season. He was he was great for the best part of a year, and then he was terrible for the second second bit of it. But you'd say I mean you'd say the same for for Flores, and you'd say the same for for Marco. Yeah, Silva, so. Flores will come in. People start working harder. They'll be good for a bit, and then they'll get. I mean, he'll probably gone before the start of next season. Gaz, do you worry about kind of teams? I, I mean, we used to worry about teams with new managers and good performances, but a, a city are at home, so it, it's just kind of it should just be one of those, yeah, one well, of those games. Well, it's not a, it's not a new manager at the same time, is it? I suppose so. I don't know if that's if that sort of, if the honeymoon period <laughs> was like two years like, ago. Yeah, it's like um, uh, <laughs> it's kind of sort of make an obscure reference. Then, well, um, <laughs> you can have to now. Um, was it Liz on, Taylor? Was it? It, was, it was Liz Taylor married to twice. It was Richard Burton. Richard Burton. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I don't know what their second honeymoon was like. It might have been dynamite. <laughs> <laughs> we'll have to read Richard Burton's autobiography. Um, <laughs> um, but, uh, uh, what was good? What was I talking about? Football. So, Football. Yeah, that's um, that's what we're here. I don't. Yeah, I mean, sit here at home and. Um, We've got like muscle memory of beating them six nil, uh, and they've got a good result out of the system last week, haven't they? As well, so like all that kind of so I don't think there's any sort of huge who do over. It's it's not just that though. It's I mean it's it's eleven wins in a row for City against Watford. The last time they they dropped points against Watford, Stuart Pearce was the manager. So it's not like it's yeah, it wasn't that, it wasn't the one where he missed a, a penalty, was it? Oh no, they've they've missed that many penalties that season. No, it was uh, they drew one all at Vicarage Road. Right. Um, it was they sent Watford down actually that day. Um, I was scored. out for scale. Yeah, uh, Noel Gallagher was um, yes, in was. the home end. And yeah. he got a big cheer when he arrived at the uh, the away end. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Obviously, they won every post takeover game against Watford. You'd be crazy well. to think that City don't win on on Saturday. But you probably wouldn't have expected Norwich to. It's not quite at those levels. Well, it's going to say City don't often... I mean, it happened last season, but City don't often lose back-to-back games. I mean, I know they've won in midweek, so it, it's, but Premier League games. No, no, they don't. And I, and I think Pep will be all over them to 
because of the way the Champions League's gone now that they can pretty much throw all the focus on the Premier League uh, and make uh, and and they've got these decent run of fixtures coming up and they can just put everything on that and to not drop any more points. That's the one thing and I've said this before and I've been on here but like Pep like o- over and above all the sort of really sort of idiosyncratic style he's got for his tactics and all that. His big thing is like like you you just turn a team into a winning machine and it's about the results and he never ever lets us follow a, a bad result with another one. It just doesn't you know that that that's that's where his sort of it's happened, it's happened once I think it is. Well, over the last two years, it only happened once last Christmas, and then it was like it felt odd. And it's different from when like when things started to go a bit sour under under Pellegrini and Mancini before him. It's like there's, there's that drift, and he just does not allow that to happen. So um, I, I I don't think yeah I don't think it will happen. I think he's you know he's just too good a coach in this squad. Mentally won't allow that as well. We'll come to predictions for that shortly. Um, Preston, the midweek after that, it's uh, funnily enough, the last time they played Preston was just before they dropped points against Watford um, in the okay. in the FA Cup that year. Um, it's it's guys. I wanted I want to talk to you about the League Cup because um, yeah. you you were tweeting about how the League Cup has uh, more interest in it than the Champions League at this stage. Yeah, I, I figured it out. I, I, I had to sort of go online to figure out what the dates of things are, and I, I reckon that the the League Cup is more interesting. Than the Champions League is up to the point at which the League Cup finishes, because and then the, the Champions League becomes exactly after yeah that, yeah yeah. Yeah. I mean, like, yeah yeah. But once the knockouts of the Champions League happen, it's you know it's really exciting. But the League Cup's great. I mean, like, people say teams don't take it seriously, but all the teams that don't take it seriously, they're all gone after a round or so, and then you're into like the quarterfinals, and then it's you know then you've got sort of big games again. We got, I mean, aside from the Burton thing last year, we got tested more in the League Cup last year than we did in the FA Cup, really. Well, I was um, going to say, I mean, it, City have won it now. What is it? Is it four times six, in six years? We've won it six times, haven't we? It's been enjoyable to watch those to games it. on all, all those games as well, hasn't it? It's been some. It's been some interesting places to go to, and some watching people like Foden come through. They've had their opportunity in as well, and it's been. It's, yeah, I completely agree. It's, it's it's good fun to watch. I think it's interesting how Guardiola will set up for this one as well, though, because you kind of get the feeling like there'll be some opportunities in there for for the likes of Foden, maybe Garcia as well in in defence. The way things are going, but Preston fifth in the Championship started the season quite well, so it's not going to be it's not a gimme of a yeah. game. No, I th- I think this feeds into it. I think this is actually going to be a really great game um, because I think it, it, Pep will make changes and possibly could be Garcia, may, may, maybe not Howard Bellis just yet. I don't know. Um, whether Mendy starts or Angelino, I've not seen him at all. Um, so he'll make changes. And I don't know anything about Preston, their team, but the fifth. So <laughs> there you go. They must be must be all right. That, that's what that's that's why we get you on for the for that expert <laughs> analysis. And, uh, My pleasure. Yeah, um, Gaz, it's it's. You're not going to ask me about Algo Preston. I'm not. No, you're all right. I'm going <laughs> to ask you about City in the League Cup because the last time that City lost a League Cup game was was uh, is just a month under three years ago. So, so I mean, the City have got a great run in the competition, and it, it's just like. What what is it about that competition? Why why have we kind of suddenly adopted this as it, it feels like? It feels like it's more important to City than anybody else. Does that make sense? Um, yeah. I mean, I suppose we've we've kind of had the luxury of being able to treat it seriously because we've got you know the quite, squad quite a dense quite a dense squad. Um, we don't, but we don't lose many games. Period. So you know we're going to be in the later stages of stuff. 
Um, and you know, there's a there's, there's, you know, bit of good, you know, well, not necessarily good fortune, but maybe maybe a slight coincidence that we've had such a good run in it as well at the same time. I think the fact that the fact that you can get such a good rhythm going in that competition as well, if you want if you want to sort of take it seriously, sort of helps and helps us get good results in it as well because it's all done dusted by the by spring in it and. Um, yeah, uh, th- 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 and there's always like things that Pep probably wants to try out and sort of use use that competition for, and we've never, we've never used it like you know how like Arsenal used to use it where they'd literally like just field like eleven changes and year olds yeah. something like. That. We've never really used it like that. It's like Foden needs a game, but he needs blood in, and I think this is always the right way to do. It, actually, if you've got like a lad like Garcia or Foden, there's no point seeing how they do in a youth team in a, in a professional in a first team match. You need to put them in a system. And see how they get on with players at that level, and that's kind of the approach which he's sort of taken to it, and it's and it's worked. When your second choice centre forward is like Gabriel Jesus, you know you're always going to be you do all right. Aren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's let's touch on Foden because Johnny's he's barely played this season. Fans have been crying out to see him, and you know there was the whole thing. You know, at the start of the season with him and, and Guardiola, where he's where Guardiola said he should be banging my door down, that sort of thing. You know where is he? Where's he been? I mean, he was he was ill in midweek, I believe. So he you know wasn't available for the the Shakhtar game, but still. Well, a bit like Cancelo, it, it's it's difficult to get tight game time at this time of the year when the first four games of the season they're only playing once a week, um, and he and Pep wants to give game time to, you know, he's it's what what would possibly be his first eleven. You know, De Bruyne, Bernardo, David Silva. Gundogan, uh, Rodri. So it's, it's difficult for, for Foden to get opportunities, but obviously it's frustrating because he he needs that time. I mean, the Brighton one was a bit was his opportunity. And you thought three nil, an hour gone. The subs are all warming up. You think, well, this bring is, him on. Yeah, give him a rather a give run, him. Yeah, yeah he brought, he brought him on in the 89th minute and things like that. And in the Community Shield, I think he came on mm. in injury time, didn't he, or in the 89th minute? And you think it's not it's kind of not even worth bothering that but there was a chance to give him half an hour and then he brings on Bernardo and, and then 15 seconds seconds later Bernardo scores so that that doesn't help his cause does it and then you know, these in, these injuries now I think that also knocks him back a little bit I know they're not midfielders that have been injured but he needs to go with his most experienced players to get through this uh, so no it's not great but I think when they start playing twice a week People start picking up niggly injuries, or people are playing four games on a trot. And it's time to take someone out. His chance will come. He's still going. He's still going to be. He's not the first choice yet, but he's still going to play. I don't know. Twenty games this season. Start De- twenty games. Number. I think he'll start twenty games this season, and appear in 30, 35, 40. Right. Well, uh, still no winners on the charity bet for this season. Uh, two more attempts this week. William Hill has given each of us a £10 correct score single and uh, the winnings are going to the Christia Cancer Hospital in Manchester. Uh, Gans, we'll start with you. What have you gone for for, uh, for Watford? 3-0. 3-0 is 6-1 uh, to one and 60 quid if you're right. John? 4-0. 4-0 is 15-2. Uh, That's uh, 75 quid if you're right. I've gone in between you and gone 2-0. So uh, we're 13-2 to two if I'm right and 65 quid. Uh, Preston, guys. Hang on, he's going to concentrate on getting the clean sheet. Yeah, we have. Yeah. It's, it's, which means Watford will score yeah. inside <laughs> you know, 30 seconds and then we'll be all, all be out. Uh, what have you gone for for Preston, Gus? 3-1. Uh, John? 2-1. And I went for 3-0, so uh, there's something in there. We've not got the odds for the Preston game yet, so uh, we have to keep an eye on our Twitter feed <coughs> for that. Uh, remember to gamble, you've got to be 18 or over, and that prices can change. If you'd like more 
on responsible gambling, head over to BeGambleAware.org. It's now time for Howard Hawking. He's explaining why being a City fan is so much fun. admit it, I'm spoiled. I mean, how can I not be when the football team I support has secured 198 points over the last two football seasons, when they won a domestic treble for the first time in their history, when the past decade has seen my team win its first trophy in over a generation, and its first top-tier league in 44 years, then won it another three times and added another FA Cup and just the four League Cups for good measure, when our last league defeat was followed by a 15-game winning streak. Spoilt is what I definitely am. I, and others, won the lottery on September the 1st, 2008, and have been dining out on it ever since. I've even stopped shopping at Iceland and quality save. There's a downside to being spoilt though, because it makes losing a lot tougher to handle. Very tough when your last league loss was 8 months previous. I wasn't much better at handling defeats when we were rubbish to be honest, which ruined many a weekend. But nowadays a defeat leads to inquests, the rewriting of history, and suddenly the forthcoming fixture list looks twice as hard as it did last week. After all, if it happened once, that defeat, then it could happen a hundred times. And thus, after one game and one more injury, the squad is full of deficiencies, the team is down to the bare bones, and there were damning questions to be asked about our transfer business during the summer. All because the previously ill Nicholas Otamendi dallied on the ball and we messed up playing an offside trap. Hence the game against Shakhtar Donetsk suddenly becomes the well-worn must-win game, despite the fact it's obviously not a must-win game, as shown by City losing their opening game of last season's Champions League campaign and qualifying with ease. In fact, despite losing our opening game, we were top of the table after just three games. The problem is that the intense competition with Liverpool means that defeats cannot be afforded very often if we have designs on once more winning the league. So defeats must be avoided and any that occur are catastrophic. Without Liverpool in the league, the reaction to defeat would have been much calmer and shrugged off at the weekend against Norwich and would still be top and few would have perceived it as particularly damaging. The extra problem with City is that the defeats tend to come when you least expect them. Now it sickens me to say this, but I must. That is why I would defend, partially at least, the way some United fans have struggled to cope with not being top dog anymore. I know a lifelong supporter or two who are close to giving up their season tickets. The excitement is not there anymore, being the reason why they want to quit. The spark has gone. Now it's easy to laugh at such a lack of support and deride them for such an approach. You take the rough times with the smooth and all that. We did. You don't give up when the going gets tough, and a hundred other cliches. But if I was a United fan, and by rights I should be, as my dad is, then I'd be pretty frustrated too, and wondering if I could spend my money in a more productive manner at weekends and the odd midweek. I do understand it. For many United fans, they've known little but success. If their wealth and size was appropriate for a team in sixth or thereabouts, then I'd mock such a lack of support. But United have been run with such ineptness and incompetence for at least six years now that they make the likes of Peter Swales look like Bill Gates. The owners leech half the profits away, the stadium ages along with the supporters, and put that all together and they have every right to think that this is not a good way to spend 90 minutes week in, week out. It's no point comparing their lot to that of your Rochdale or Berry fan, 
Their situation, expectations and capacity for success is on another planet. Our reactions as fans to how much we support our team and how much we criticise them is all relevant to where the bar is set for the team. Nevertheless, such a situation would never stop me being a fan of that team, though. You can never change that. It might just change my attendance record. And you just can't compare the situation at United to cities and us having healthy crowds when we were at our lowest ebb. We knew no different and had nothing else to cling on to. We always had hope, though, that better times were around the corner. If we'd known what the future held, I bet many of us would have given it up. The only way a comparison can be made is if City stutter for a number of years like United are now. Then we'll see what the support is made of. I hope we never have to. And we shouldn't. After all, if a single defeat to Norwich can call Cheeky Gerestain's tenure into question, how would years in the doldrums affect us, especially in the age of social media? And in a way, United fans know already what the future holds, in the short term anyway, knowing that they are too far behind Liverpool or City to win a title in the foreseeable future. None of us in the old days ever foresaw the balance of power being as it is in Manchester, and that's hard to comprehend and deal with. United fans thought they were made for life, and then suddenly they weren't. I'm confident they can count on your full sympathy for their plight. But anyway, enough about United. But for City, a 3-0 win in the Ukraine, when it should have been 10, has rather put into perspective the level of crisis at the club after a single defeat created a meltdown with small parts of the fan base. City were the only English team to win in the Champions League this week. The media were quick to swat away any recriminations for Liverpool losing away in the Champions League once more. Apparently it would do them good. Shame they couldn't say the same thing about City losing to Norwich. Liverpool lost all three away games last season too in the group stage, including Napoli, which is why those of a sane mind point out that the league is a true barometer of the best teams, not a cup competition. Never a cup competition. Still, nice to see Liverpool fans catch up with the fact that VAR sucks. Strange how it suddenly occurred to them why that could be. Meanwhile, Spurs were ahead for just over 200 minutes in the whole of last season's Champions League campaign and reached the final. That too is telling. So days on from City's season being on the verge of falling apart, Fernandinho proved that playing in defence is well within his remit so there's nothing to be worried about. City are back on course have been really great again. A host of other teams are now in crisis mode instead, and the world keeps revolving until we all get a new narrative next week. It was ever thus. But what the team proved in Kharkiv is that they are still a class act. The team are human, just like Chelsea's and Liverpool's were this midweek, and sometimes it just ain't your day. Sometimes you face adversity and obstacles along the way, and buying another two defenders would not change that. But what is a constant now is that this team is a class act, led by one of the world's greatest managers. The greatest. So all in all, despite that tortuous five-hour journey back from Norwich, when it felt like the world had it in for me, we've got a pretty good deal in life being a blue right now. Benjamin Mendy is once more sprinting down the wing. Gabriel Jesus has a new crap goal celebration. Ilkay Gundogan is once more turning it on in European games including the classiest toe-poked goal of the season so far. Riyad Mahrez looks like the player we thought we were by in the previous summer. Rodri completed 100% of his passes on the night, and Pep secured his 80 clean sheet as City manager. And unless Edward Wood is buying our players, and a championship-level manager is leading us into the Europa League, life as a City fan will remain pretty good.
Hi there, this is Joe Royal speaking. You're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. And carry on doing so. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. But don't worry, it'll be over soon. Howard Hawking there. It's time for Ask the Panel. Get your questions in on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. You can email us on bluemoonpodcast.com and we're on Instagram as well. Just search for Blue Moon Podcast on there. Uh, James Curran is first up on the emails. Why are there no City voices commentating on City matches? Listening to Jamie Carragher get excited about City losing at Norwich was bordering on unprofessional. Um, I suppose the the kind of the feeling on this is, are you bothered by who commentates on City's games, the ex-pros? It depends on, yeah, a bit, actually. I mean, I think Sky have allowed sort of Gary Neville and Jamie Carragher to like be sort of characters, like as part of like the soap opera, which is the, like the Premier League products. And it is getting a bit irritating, I think. Um, but more for that sort of aspect of it rather than sort of thinking you need some sort of drama. Yeah, know. or bias. I'm not bothered. Like, I'm not bothered if I can ex City players commentating or not. But I think. Um, I think the thing. The thing for me is, I always think with like with Carragher, I know what I know what his bias is. Do you know what I mean? There's no point in hiding it because, like, you know what it is. You know he played for Liverpool for his entire career. Yeah, I mean the problem with Carragher is that last year it was definitely like it. It, it was almost like it was almost like his. This sounds really bitter, and I'm not usually like this, but it was almost like <laughs> sort of like his personal story as well that that season. It always felt because the thing you got to remember about Sky is that it's like it's first and foremost is telly, and then second is sports. They are putting a telly program together, and that's how they've done it. Neville annoys me a bit more because like people think people think that Neville's even-handed because he'll criticise United, but he'll only talk about United. They're either playing well or they're playing badly. There's not another team on the pitch, um, so I think that it's just you. I think it just helps if you do sort of take out the sort of bias, the, well, the, the the sort of co-commentators with sort of sympathies because they just, even when they're trying to be critical of their own team, they're doing it from a from a from a they're not doing it from a dispassionate position. Yeah, I mean, John, who who would you throw up as the name when 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 they go to Martin Tyler and who who is that and for City? <laughs> that's the you could have given me that, a bit of preparation. But that's that. that's the problem, isn't it? Um... I quite like Niall Quinn when he was doing it. I thought he was okay. Um, not a lot of st- Niall, Quinn, Niall Quinn said said stupendous, didn't he? Yeah, he I know quite a few. <laughs> a few City fans weren't that keen on him, were they? But the, but the, the point is, you, you wouldn't say and over to Martin Tyler and Sean Gota because it doesn't. You know what I mean? Yeah, but like Jim Beglin isn't like <laughs> the most exotic name. <laughs> but like he seems to get work. I'll take that. All right, yeah. <laughs> I mean, just just because you were good at. You know, you, had a, you were successful doesn't mean you're a good co-commentator, as everyone who works for BT Sport could testify. <laughs> I, just, I just don't think they've got... I just don't like listening to any of them, really. They all seem to describe exactly what, I'm, what I've just seen. You know, it's, it, oh, he's got the ball that wide there and he's, and he's crossed it. Uh, it doesn't really add anything yeah, for I me. Know, I know what you mean. The, the, the other thing that I'd like to change about commentary is... I, I, Barry Davis used to do this brilliantly, and he just he just shut up. Yeah, if nothing talk was happening, a lot more now, don't we? If nothing was happening. He just he wouldn't say anything. He might, he might say the name of the player as he received the ball. That's it. It does need changing up because I mean, although it's sort of like you can't really think of them doing. Do you remember when Keys and Gray got sacked, and it was like, oh, it's not going to be. You know, people were thinking that it's going to fundamentally change. You know, it because they were so associated with it. I think I mean, obviously that's for like much more sort of distasteful reasons, but like I think Sky needs to do something similar again and sort of swing the axe a bit and just freshen it all up because the football should be the entertainment and it's not a lot of the time now. Like you've got these little 
commentators who are sort of part of the part of the show. Part of the brand. I think the, I think the best co-commentator. I can't even remember his name. He's 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 a Scottish. I don't know. He played for Hibs or someone like that. Is it Davy Provin? Davy Provin. Is he played for Celtic? Didn't he? I can't remember. He's great. Just thinking Andy Hinchcliffe as well. He just he just seems to not want it. Like I can never remember who he is when I hear his voice because I remember his name because it's not about him. Like you say, he just he just adds he just adds a little bit to it, but flavour. Yeah, yeah. Um, final question. <laughs> final question from Caroline Hobson on the emails. Uh, she asks, "How much would Pep want to try a back three? He's attempted it before, but he's always fallen back into that trusted four-three-three. And I suppose this comes with the defensive issues. the The idea that Carl Walker might push into the middle and Cancelo come in. Yeah. Well, I think it's harder to to a back three when you only got one centre half. <laughs> um, yeah, Walker can do it. Um, I don't know. I don't know if, if Cancelo's done it before." Um, I think it's a, it, it's an option, and with Mendy for, fit, does that yeah? Does that change I think things? I think for those for those reasons, Mendy being a more attacking fullback, and uh, I think that's probably why it hasn't been used too often. Because when he was fit, it was occasionally they, they tried it out. So it is, yeah, it is an option. But I think Mendy being sort of a a reliable hundred percent back in, you know. There every week is is a little while off yet. I think they're just going to take it, take the time with him. So I can't see that happening at the moment. Zinchenko's not not that sort of quick attacking full wing back, is he? Um, Angelino, I suppose, could do that, but you know, not seen him. No, he's not disappeared. I mean, Gaz, it's funny because I always just with questions like this, I always just think Guardiola. He's he's surely just tempted to just name players. Do you know what I mean? And not actually set out a, a, for, a set formation because they all move about the pitch anyway. Well, he'd tell you that anyway, wouldn't he? If you sort of read, like, just stuff get more midfielders on the on the pitch. Well, like, whenever you sort of read stuff about what Guardiola said or what even like lots of other sort of top managers say, it's like they, football managers don't think about like formations and tactics in terms of like. Who's playing three or, where three or and, four yeah. bands on a pitch? You know, it, they, they say it's much more complicated than that, and um, you, you know, it doesn't really matter. I mean, I mean like it's right because like, people talk about three and four at the back, but like often there's not much of a difference because when the three at the back seems to work well, it's because you've got one of them who steps up into midfield, and then it just becomes a four-four. You know, then it becomes a four at the back, and I think that's the way. I mean, it's hard for us because we're so ingrained in this, like, sort of looking at a team sheet before a game and actually seeing where those dots are on the pitch. But I don't think managers do see it like that. So no, well, my head, my head fell off when he didn't play a right-back against Newcastle, was it, last season? Well, he, just, he just didn't name anybody on the right side of the pitch? Or... No. Well, he sort of brought all that in. Like, there, was like, there was more of that about 10 years ago, like really asymmetric formations. They sort of, sort of moved away from that. Now, really annoys me. When, when a formation's not symmetrical, <laughs> it, it troubles me. I can't, I can't explain why. Well, De Bruyne has played as, almost as a striker, at times, but you know, Shakhtar, he was the furthest man forward, and you, yeah, you don't, you don't, that. you know, you when you, when you sort of, if you were drawing a graph of where they were playing, you wouldn't put him as a striker, but he was playing there more than the, than he was in midfield. And last season, when Fernandinho played at centre half uh, against Arsenal, it was, it was, I think we, it was called a false six, was it, or something like that? It was because <laughs> he was, he was like half centre half, half. He was, he was midfield. When City had the ball and centre half when they didn't, and it was, you know, and like when the opposition have the ball anyway, you you flex to suit what the opposition are doing. So it's always a bit of a red herring to sort of talk about defensive formations anyway, because you're you're just reacting to whatever the opposition are doing. Yeah, 
Right, well, uh, scales fell from your eyes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, fair enough. Yeah, fair enough. Uh, time's beaten us this week, and we've come to the end of the episode. But never fear, there is more to be heard if you are a Patreon backer. Head on over to patreon.com forward slash Blue Moon Podcast and sign up to one of our tiers to get a bonus episode each week. And we promise that it's at least 15 minutes long each time. This week's is about city results that have made you the angriest. If you'd like to listen, you can sign up to the $2 per month tier. If you'd like to be on that show, then check out the $10 a month tier instead. All of that money goes towards making the show so everything backed really does help us out thanks for listening and special thanks to my guests to Gaz cheers and to Jonathan Smith thank you we'll be back next week to look over the games against Watford and Preston see you then that was the Blue Moon Podcast please support the show patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast